Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. to boldly watch i am i guess doctor of the jake michaels i got a doctor today Ooh. oh congratulations mm-hmm. yeah, well just filled a form online it's pretty cool got it um, and i'm okay. still the lieutenant commander gotta got work for that captaincy i'll be there someday yeah is your career kind of stalled i guess you could say that if only i had some like pep talk to really get me going hey yeah. can you not say that you're not gonna become a commander uh, before you even tried, you're just telling us about your failure before you even get there. Yeah, but I think that's my limit. So just wanted to acknowledge that. Maybe name it. It's named Jeremiah. There it is. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> is Jeremiah. your limit named Jeremiah? Is that what you said? Well, it was a bullfrog. So. I get it. You'll never be a commander because Jeremiah and also all the drugs that you took before this episode. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The only drug I took was chili, and now it's hitting my stomach like a brick. So let's do this thing. <laughs> the thing is, your hair and eyes would beg to differ. <laughs> yeah, if the chili did that to your face, uh, that's another different side effect for sure. Check for our podcast listeners, I uh-huh. am currently sporting a camera filter that makes my hair pink and my eyes blue. This is because I am dyeing my hair pink on Friday, and the blue eyes were just, they just came with the filter, so. (laughs) It's a bonus. (laughs) You're not going to do blue contacts or anything? What's wrong with brown eyes? Nothing's Uh wrong. I'm just asking if you're changing it. Speaking of representation in brown eyes. What's wrong with my current choice? Hey, yeah. That's right. That's what I did. Uh, And I stand by it. Speaking of representation of eye color, let's Uh take a moment. (laughs) Before we get into this week's episode, and let's talk about the second to last, if you don't count the clip show, episode of season two, The Emissary, because there was a very interesting conversation that happened between uh, our our two most prolific Patreon commentators. I didn't mm-hmm. say favorite because I didn't want to make other people feel bad. Prolific <laughs> is factual. That's very true. Yes. But Griffin and Nightcat, you know, you're the favorites. <laughs> Uh, you know, if anybody, anybody wants to out. be a favorite commenter, they really got to step it up. But <laughs> um, what was really interesting is that, um, um, so let's, I, I maybe I should just read an ex, uh, excerpt well, of Griffin's um, comments that sort of sparked this deeper discussion. To, to give context to the listeners, too, this is in reference to our conversation about the emissary where Becca brought up the point about casting a, mm-hmm. a white actor in the role of a Klingon. And we talked mm-hmm. about, uh, like, I guess potentially whether that was brownface or not in light of the fact that uh, so many Klingons, especially the one she was playing against, was a black actor and mm-hmm. about how matching skin tones. And I believe our discussion was pretty much like a little inconclusive. We, we had noted that like an alien race is different than an ethnicity within humanity. So we kind of the line was a little unclear especially given how many advances they were trying to do from the original series. And then Nightcat and Griffin Hawk both contributed And especially the given how white we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so calling ourselves out uh, on that. And um, Griffin Hawk is giving a different perspective because his parents are black and Mexican, but he's actually really light-skinned, so people often assume that he's white, even though that's not the case. Um, and he says that there's an important distinction 
Distinction between what is makeup for alien species versus what is understood to be black or brown face makeup. What we have with Klingons is, to me, clearly the former and not the latter. Uh, and, you know, there is a distinction, but um, I think Nightcat's response was, if they did only cast blackers as black actors, blackers, um, <laughs> to shorten that, uh, as Klingons, this race that is inherently, you know, sort of lesser because they're only aggressive, then that mm. would be construed as racist from some points of view because mm-hmm. it's saying that the, it's kind of like pigeonholing the analogy, right? I think that what's uncomfortable for me is that it is, even though in this context, Klingons are an alien race with a brown skin tone, that because uh, black and brown people are discriminated against, especially in America, that that particular color makes me think, okay, but uh, I shouldn't put that color makeup on myself during a day and not be, um, you know, doing something that is weird and bad (laughs) Mm. but it's a lot of like really interesting discussions that are had from different perspectives too from things that we can't offer yeah and then the conversation morphed into nightcap bringing up like why is diversity of representation um considered to be something that's solely based on appearance when he gave the example that like data feels like a character that represents his personality more um on television and i thought that was a really interesting perspective and just my two cents on it is that Uh, So often people's perceptions of us are based on our outward appearance. You know, people make assumptions um, about you based on that. And so I think that's why there's so much emotionality tied to representation of appearance. Mm -hmm. And from my perspective, I can say as a queer person growing up in media that was queer coded to like kind of appease like, oh, look, we have this sort of representation to see characters actually say out loud, like I am a man that is in love with a man or any variation, you know, it just validates it. So it's like, oh, I'm not crazy for giving it this subtext. These things are being said out loud. And I think that's really important. Yeah, totally. Anyway, all that to say, thanks for the discussion, friends. And yeah. uh, uh, it's lovely. And we welcome it on our Patreon. And if you want to contribute to that discussion on our Patreon, all you got to do is join. There's a link mm-hmm. on the description below. And you also get the uncut access to our episodes and the video, as well as special episodes, which we recorded uh, Shades of Grey, the fantastic clip show. By the way, I was editing that. We had a lot more fun than I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the trial of Dr. Catherine Pulaski as well, which was a blast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but let's move on. I was to... totally mild uh, and meek in all of those recordings. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah, we had to really crank you up in this. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but let's move on to today's episode, which is the Ensigns of Command, where mm-hmm. Data must convince a colony of people to evacuate before the aliens who own the planet arrive and presumably obliterate them. <laughs> yeah. What's with idiots not leaving their planet when they're doomed? We're sensing a theme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a real there's a real uh, common thread in Star Trek about uh, kind of the stubbornness of people being in their homes, like and and not wanting to acknowledge the reality that exists beyond their horizon in a lot of ways, right? And uh, we this is a a pretty prime episode to show that. And shouting about structures not being torn down because their ancestors put them up. (laughs) Confederate statues. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a point of all cultures, like not even just American culture, right? Of like people are really 
tied to heritage. They're tied to tradition. Like that guy talked about his grandfather so much as if his grandfather means anything in light of where they're at today, right? So people yeah. living in the past and putting such a emphasis on tradition is a thing that Star Trek explores. And it's like, well, you still have to face the reality of now. Well, I think what it comes down to as well is the the world or the universe that Star Trek is in is is different than ours in that there's no like economy based jobs and things like that. So they have to boil down the principles of what does it mean to be human? Okay, we need to find cultures. We need to um, you know uh, have a structure of a family, uh, uh, something like that. And the and the universal thing that they can tie it is this tie to history and roots. That is something that is universally understood by humanity. So when we come across humans out in space and they go, oh, we've been here for a long time. This is all we know. We can relate to that because we've only been on Earth and this is all that yeah, we know, we too. Know, yeah. mm, I do like nesting. <laughs> so I guess I can relate in that sense. I'm a real homebody. I know I'm unique in that in um, the year of our Lord, early 2021. <laughs> right, right. It would be so interesting if, like, a spacefaring uh, civilization came to us and said, hey, listen, we gave up Earth to another planet, uh, another corporation, actually, a a corporation, and so we need to get you off in the next couple weeks, so you guys got to leave Los Angeles and... uh, this planet. <laughs> anyway, you can I will stay and fight, Jake. <laughs> you can't tell me to leave my home. Yeah, they're just going to my... demolish everything. <laughs> it's gone. It's all this. Wow. Yeah. We do have a little bit of a, a cold open, though, with this orchestra section and data uh, examining what it means to put feeling into music or art. They say that I lack soul. <laughs> <laughs> It's so interesting because music is a thing that, like, computers can do j- pretty great. And mm-hmm. we, we even human musicians use computers to create music nowadays. So, like, there's been AI attempts at doing this already. But, like, he's already playing – he's playing stuff that already exists. He's not writing his own music. So, like, right. at some point uh, – I don't know. Like, I'm so interested to know the different nuances of what it's like for an Android to play a piece of music in perfect time compared to anybody else in his quartet. <laughs> like, they should also be playing in – good time (laughs) yeah i think that the thing that would set human made music apart would be its imperfections that's so astute yep (laughs) which data could totally throw in yeah well yeah and like not to jump to the end of the episode but uh they do have this resolution that i really really like from picard because i feel like as an artist everybody kind of runs into this of like oh i'm just rehashing something that's already existed but it's you choosing the bits and pieces to take there's uh, an actually a Japanese phrase called itokodori, which is to take the best of things, sort of like cherry picking. Like, um, you there's can no take... such thing as a new idea. Yeah, but it was your idea to put those things together and create this collaboration. So the thing that Data is playing is a mashup of these different artists that have played this solo. But Picard is pointing out you you're contributing something. You have a taste. You are tweaking these performances to be a creation all on its own and that's all you can ask literally all unscripted television does these days (laughs) right (laughs) also he has like kind of an imposter syndrome doesn't he Mm -hmm. like i love the confidence issue that we have we had a little bit of this in uh peak performance at the end of last Mm -hmm. season but it's great to kind of see him realize he doesn't fit in in that traditional way but that's all still an internal perception for him it's really not anybody else's idea like they're everybody's supportive of him like crusher and picard notably yeah 
And that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, mm -hmm. music is subjective. Most things are subjective. There even, you, you know, a, a corporate balance sheet. And whether you're a good <laughs> accountant or not, if the people you work with like you, you're going to get promoted. Oh. And they're going to say you're good at your job. But if you suck as a human, mm. then you're not. So everything's subjective, really. And uh, him creating this self-fulfilling prophecy of... Um, well, I, I am not going to be as good because I do not have soul. Crusher says, do not tell us you're going to fail before you even attempt it because you will fail. Because mm. we are going into it thinking, oh, he's going to fail. Um, and that becomes a recurring theme in this episode. There's also this level of politeness that I, I suppose appeases me um, to like, you don't you don't want to hear me. I'm not the good one. You want to stay for the next concert? They're amazing. The excessive you, honesty, get, right? Exactly. Yeah. Too much honesty is a bad thing. Yeah, which becomes a running theme. I mean, I find that in a lot of newer performers too. They they tend to apologize for mm -hmm. something that I didn't even know was an issue until they pointed it out to me. Like right. it's like, oh, I wasn't thinking about that. I thought you were doing great. If you hadn't have focused on that, I wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> I've learned I, to tell you all how amazing I am all of the time, yeah. <laughs> so that you never doubt it. Well, you keep you texting know? us throughout the performances too, and just yeah, letting us yeah. know how great you're doing. <laughs> 45 unread messages. Did you guys hear I can't... that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you hear how much I crushed the cold open notes? Killing it. <laughs> so the real problem of this episode is the Sheliac from the Shelia star system. Sparkly people in 80s sweatsuits with uh, geometric <laughs> patterns that stand behind clear organs. Um, you know, like an organ player. Oh, right. the pipes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the pipes. <laughs> um, they're like, hey, 111 years ago, Federation signed a treaty that says this planet's ours, and there's humans on it. We're going to destroy them. Okay, bye. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a great that's summary. But uh, before we move on real quick, I just wanted to posit a question that I had with this opening bit. You can hear the orchestra warming up. And I wondered if they actually used warm-up sounds from the orchestra recording of the song. Because you can hear a little bit of the, the theme song in it as like a, a Oh, practice. what? Really? That's a yeah, deep just a little musician... Bit thing to notice. Oh, I didn't even right? hear that. Oh, I'm so glad you picked that so up. So I'm just wondering. I'm putting that out there. You mean the theme song from the show? Yeah, like if it was oh, a recording cool. from a I, warm that, But maybe exactly that was a director note that was like, hey, make it sound kind of like each of you are independently trying to play the theme song. Go. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. It was like one violin and like a minor key tried to like sort of it was reminiscent anyway That's i just wanted to throw that <laughs> well i bet for sound issues they couldn't actually do it on the stage because you probably wouldn't pick it up with the mics they were using right right you have to have the mics close to pick that up but they're like we That's have a recording from when we did the theme song and they yeah. were recording when they were warming up so just pick That's... up one of those we enjoyed a catch. Something. Also, O'Brien apparently plays the cello. Mm -hmm. Is that him? Yes. What? I was not paying that close of attention. <laughs> I wondered. I was like, oh, they've got O'Brien in the in the string quartet. I wonder if he's going to make another appearance later on. He's and... in this episode, like in several scenes, and has zero zero lines. Oh, no. <laughs> well, he, uh, I he think got he got paid. written it's out fine. of those lines. Yeah, he got his dollars. <laughs> yeah. Hey, question. Um, what is non-human intelligence classification R three? Good question. <laughs> I think that might have been that's like, clear organ people techno babble. Like w where we know a class M planet is pretty defined. I think that might be a. I well, don't. I don't recognize that term. But also, this is the Sheliak's terms. We, what we come to know of this uh, species is that they tend to have a lot of bureaucracy and their own sort of terms and conditions for things. 
uh, and those become more and more clear. They're just making us sign away rights every time we download an updated version <laughs> of their product because they yeah, know yeah, we're not going to read it. Yeah, except, except. <laughs> yeah, that's what the that's what the conclusion is. Is is Picard finally reading the terms of service? Yeah. Wait. A <laughs> There's a customer helpline. We're going to use exactly the customer helpline of the hibernating race. Yeah. Okay. Oh man, don't give it away! Don't give it away for oh, everyone sorry. who uses this as a conduit to not watch the episode. And just also, what are you doing? To... Watch the episode, you people. Okay, so Tau Sigma Five is the planet in contention. And they're like, what? Maybe there's just one little ship that made it down there. We got to go get those humans off. But it's surrounded in some special kind of radiation, a kind that only takes out phasers and uh, transporters, but not communicators. And people, humans. Well, the humans uh, start dying, you know, one in three, until they realize, I can adapt. Da, da, da. And then they adapt beyond the limitations of this radiated planet. Why didn't they do that sooner? <laughs> they just gave up, much like Data wanted to while playing violin. Right? You can't name ah. your expectations, Jeremiah. Or your limitations, rather. Yeah, Jeremiah. <laughs> Learn Jeremiah. <to> oh! <laughs> That reminded me of this thing that an acting teacher once said that's like you have this little um, uh, this self-doubt floating like a cloud over you all the time and I want uh -huh. you to name it right now. Mine is named Pedro and you just be like, fuck you, Pedro. <laughs> um, that's your Jeremiah. Yeah, your inner saboteur. Yeah. If you can separate it, then you can curse it out. You can fight it. Mm. <laughs> Also, giving it a name kind of like lowers its status in your mind, right? It's not as nefarious if it's, what was it, Pedro? <laughs> uh, what would mine be named? Mm. Tiffany. Kevin. No, that's next episode. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, I'm, I, also, I'm very impressed at how many of those details you got in there. You really dug deep into the exact uh, specifications of the problems on Tau Sigma 5. Yeah. I guess I took my focus pill yesterday. And still, uh, <laughs> I was still working. You really um, did. Yeah. So, so it was a colony ship named Artemis, which sounds really similar. I guess we've encountered the Mariposa. Right. Anyway, there's always a ship that got lost 90 years ago while trying to head <laughs> yeah. somewhere. And this is another case of that. But they've made lots of babies. 15,000 to be precise. Right. Yeah. Well. You got nothing else to do besides yeah. make an aqueduct and uh, have kids. The uh, the shuttlecraft that Data goes down on, also while we're naming ships, is the Onizuka, oh, which I believe was named astronaut. after with the astronaut, uh, one of whom who died on the Challenger. Yeah. Oh. Right. Oh yeah, I was going to mention that plot point that Data was the only one that could go down because the radiation. Because right. again, it doesn't stop androids, just other technological things. Conveniently. Oh. <laughs> Conveniently. But that also gives us a reason to have a data-centric episode. So we go down there. He meets two humans who f kind of inform him that what who they are, that they – yeah, there's a bunch of them, that they are descendants of that ship, and that their ancestors were from the Federation, right? Y yeah. yeah. Oh, snap. My great-grandparents were in the Federation. Right. You'd be so proud of all we've accomplished. See? We're like cousins, man. <laughs> yeah. Aqueduct and baby. <laughs> they are so proud of that aqueduct. And it is an impressive aqueduct. I That um, that map painting was pretty cool that they had. Mm, um, I couldn't do an aqueduct. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I can't. I would have I gotten killed on the trail looking out for it for dysentery, sure. Dysentery, probably. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't fall off a cliff, you just died of dysentery. Yeah. I don't know. yeah. Well, and that's true. They had bad water. Um, yeah. They needed an aqueduct. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this, this, this is actually a, a fun. I feel like season three, Star Trek has really. Uh, tightened everything down really well and mm. like the episodes flow really nicely they're not bumpy it also looks a lot better yes the there's like three plots in this episode there's like an a and a b and a c and like the a is obviously kind of like data dealing with these settlers b is picard dealing with the uh Shiliac. Mm-hmm. and then the c Shiliac's which is always kind of small and not really that important but also fun to check in on is i guess the impossible project that uh Jordy's been given of fixing the transporters, right? Not impossible. Yeah. Don't say that word. Well, that's the key. It's like they all tie together. They've done another good thing about yeah. like tying in confidence and assuming you will fail. And like there is no, we should move beyond the idea of failure and see what we can accomplish regardless. And yeah. I love that all three of those do that. Mm-hmm. Very heady to take this general principle of what life is like in the 24th century mm-hmm. and just be able to tie those threads to, you know, uh, it's so impressive because it, it they've done it several times this season. Oh, it's only 302. Okay, they did it once before the season. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I hope they it just continues. Did it really, they're, they're doing it more consistently and I feel like everything, they've, they've kind of, they found their rhythm in a really great way and the writing just also feels really complete. Yeah, commenting off of that too, I think that they've found this balance of bringing the campiness of Star Trek and not taking it too seriously into like the tropes of it. So there were some laugh out loud lines, especially with the um, Picard asking them to do the impossible. He shows up to check up on them and he's like, how are you doing? About like you expect, splendid, carry on. And like, that's the scene. (laughs) That's great. That's so funny. Oh man. I loved the line that Jordy had, which was, uh, he expects us to do the impossible from Wesley. And Jordy says, that's the short definition of a captain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that that there's still this sense of urgency and importance to what's going on. But there's that, like, camaraderie that you get from, like, a workplace humor that they're they're incorporating into everything. Yeah. I feel like they've also gotten out of the habit that a lot of TV shows do in their first season or sometimes two seasons of, like, feeling they need to establish something about the character in a scene that they're in. Mm-hmm. Like, well, this reminds me of when I was in blah, 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 or, like, relates further to my personality choice as opposed to just, like, let's just have fun in this moment. I suppose it doesn't have to be about your short temper or your horniness. Or right. That and yet when you have fun in those moments, then you find something really interesting about the character, which is he he knows he's too demanding and he's going to ask for it anyways, which becomes a unique defining characteristic of Picard. Exactly. Because a lot of times the crew will rise to that. Yeah. And or they'll find another way to solve the problem in the end, but he always wants to have multiple options. There it is. And they're showing it rather than telling us, right? Because in the first season, we definitely had a lot of people like, well, this Picard guy is a real hard ass. Especially right. in the first episode, they yeah. kept talking about it as opposed to just like letting him do those things. Yeah. I, I think there's a level of audience trust that's there too. Because writing the first two seasons, they're like, okay, nobody knows anything about Star Trek. We have to tell them every little bit and establish these characters. Now going into season yeah. three, they've seen the response and be like, oh, people catch on. People know what Jordy's deal is. People know what data's deal is let's go further don't tell us he's a hard ass show us exactly how hard his ass is (laughs) and and kiss it i guess (laughs) okay okay i will staying on the ensigns of command (laughs) hey 
When we go back to the planet Tau Sigma 5 and Data's trying to do some evacuating, we meet Goshevin, uh, mm-hmm. a charismatic leader who only states his lines in really off-sync ADR. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, they had to go back in ADR probably because the aqueduct was too loud or something. Every scene <laughs> in this beautiful stone courtyard, which is the, the only bit of the planet that we see, uh, yeah. he... It's very, uh, the original series, it's very like Planet yeah. of the yeah. Apes of like, I am standing my ground. <laughs> so you know, you notice he's the only one who's ADR'd in those scenes, though. It's what it was like, was... Did he have a mic problem? No, it was the guy's voice. Apparently the producer said he sounded too much like John Wayne, and so they recast his voice, and they chose That's to read up him in post. So, so he then, sounds like that on purpose? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I d- well, I mean, that was the choice they made was to have this new voice. And so oh, the actor actually... That that was not his voice, and that's why he was yeah. unable to sync up the lip movements. Correct, and so they uh, he actually asked not to be credited. I they, they don't specify what exactly it was. They just oh. apparently didn't like his voice. But honestly, that happens in television. Sure. Katie and I were talking about this. It's like, man, you get that great speaking role on a, a regular series, and you get like an awesome chance to do that, and then they're just like, we don't like your voice, so. Yeah. No. Well, and we, so we didn't need this character. We're gonna cut your whole scene. Yeah, I know yeah, people yeah, yeah. who've done that, and like uh, O'Brien was in the script too, and he mm-hmm. lost all of his lines, but he had lines too. And the real thing that'll get you is they won't tell you until it airs, and you find out along with everybody oh. else. That's <sighs> the worst. We had a buddy. We had a buddy who was in the Jim Jeffries pilot and uh, on FX like a couple years ago, and he told a lot of his friends, and he had a pretty yeah. significant part, and they reduced him down to a background shot mm-hmm. and like he had told everybody about oh. this so they he felt so awkward about like i didn't know it wasn't that much <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they didn't tell him it's my so... big break is that you in the background <laughs> oh, no but now in the era that we live in social media has changed all of that so much because back when this was airing people couldn't publicly air their grievances or what had happened or figure out the explanation they yeah. would just tell their friends you'd get together for like this huge watch party and then be disappointed yeah. and then never be able to explain yourself we forget how easy that is to communicate to people like we have an easy way to make a press mm-hmm. release for ourselves yeah now, right yeah. but like now you can just send a letter to all your friends <laughs> i would trade that in a heartbeat if uh it didn't mean every asshole had a platform and could make a podcast yeah. and cause insurrections <laughs> on a whim yeah yeah anyway hey, we created a podcast we're those assholes yeah, we're the assholes okay let's storm something oops <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you can't have a Star Trek episode with a new planet without meeting a babe. We, we meet a babe named Artie. Yeah, I like their relationship. Artie and oh. Data, who she immediately takes a liking to because she's very interested in Android technology. I, I'm making out with my phone real quick. It just looked like it needed to. So I'm just it needed it. I don't, I don't yeah. think they had... <laughs> they didn't really have the greatest chemistry Is for me, but I did out? like... <laughs> <laughs> If you're Alexander. sad. <laughs> There's so much to teach you, my friend. Uh-oh. <laughs> I always long to be a human. <laughs> That's podcast making. Like, out. all of your dates who have, like, been subjected to that kind of kissing, be like, how do I get out of this? I guess I have to just commit to this level of kissing just now. Just pack back? Just pack oh, yeah, back? Pick back, yeah. back. How do it, I, yeah, what's an easy way to saddle up? Oh, you look distressed and, like, you're trying to leave. Yeah. <laughs> Is this what you let wanted? Me, let me come here down with... <laughs> Well, uh, Data and Artie really kick it off uh, well. Yeah. 
and um, she becomes his advocate for leaving the planet, while Goshevin becomes the foil who makes a very strong case for squatters' rights. Mm-hmm. He's also just really obsessed with this aqueduct. Like a new, an alien comes to him and is like, "I have news that your planet is going to be reinhabited by its owners." And he's like, "No, back no. to my instruments." Like, yeah, like, somebody's ah. gonna come blow you up, dude. I, I'm here <laughs> yeah. to save you. Well, fuck you. Uh, and then he grabs water from it and says, "Do you know what this is? Water? No, this is blood, sweat, and tears of my ancestors." Yeah. In that voice that isn't his. <laughs> yeah. I love that, like, so he keeps trying to persuade, and he fails. And that's actually still tying into our earlier thing of, like, he didn't think he could do it, but, like, and he is failing, so he needs to try something different. And then, she, um, uh, what is her name? Arlen? Ardy? Which Ardian? is short for Ardalyn. Ardrian? Ardrian? I don't know. I didn't write her last name down. Yeah. <laughs> well, Goshevin was said so many times, I thought her name was Goshevin for a second. But oh, yeah, right. Ardrian. <laughs> They're all named Goshevin here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, she convinces him to use reverse psychology, which he gets explained to him what it is. And then he's like, well, it's a deception. And she's like, yeah, kind of. And so we've kind of gone back to this uh, somewhat ethical issue about deception and lying to people. And is this good given like all the civilizations that we visit and like what what methods we need to do to get them to save themselves, I guess. But well, I do love his struggle to understand it and his and his great attempt at doing it. Yeah, I think that was really interesting to see. But we also had this tie-in with that theme of uh, what was it? excessive honesty. Excessive honesty. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. also, it seems like excessive honesty in this uh, instance is actually a good thing because he's being excessively honest about the bad outcomes that will happen. He's like, "Your children will perish." Right, but that's what she's saying to don't do that. We got to no, no, make no. Them... That 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 was the children will perish is part of his reverse psychology right. speech. Saying, uh, well, before we get there, there's a very funny line when Data calls up to Riker and is like, yeah, they're really not listening to me. I tried to use my positronic brain logic and he just started rambling about like aqueducts and ancestors. So I don't I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, then Riker's like, try something else. He's like, yeah, so I tried everything. Um, <laughs> and but when it's... I say everything... <laughs> And Artie has the great idea. He he has some funny definitions of reverse psychology, mm. um, uh, and and then and then he he gives a grandstanding speech where he challenges Goshevin to hear the debate unless he's too chicken, mm. and he says <laughs> nobody <laughs> calls me chicken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Data gives this speech that's like. Oh, yes, you you will die valiantly for honor and land, except no one's going to be there to remember you. Anyway, anyway, it's cool, though. It's cool. That's a different form of excessive honesty is what I'm saying, right? right. Even though it isn't a deception. Like, he doesn't... He doesn't want them to do that. He, he's being deceptive in that he's uh, thinks it's an honorable thing, right? He's mm. building that up. But it, all, everything he's saying is technically true. Yeah, but the deception is this is good, and I yeah. think you should do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's sure. the the attitude towards that information. And then we get the wonderful uh, response of any villain who's unimpressed, which is yeah, the slow clap. Love it, especially yep. when it's off camera and everybody has to turn and see who's uh-huh. clapping silently. <laughs> So I also good. marked down once he's starting to like convince people to be on his side that they have like 
definite stances. So it's like, Artie's like, I support you wholeheartedly. The next one's like, I somewhat support you, but I still have questions. <laughs> and the next one's like, I oppose you, but I'm willing to listen. They all fall neatly like, into polling cut. categories. Yeah. <laughs> they just Five thirty seven would groups. love this. Yeah. <laughs> On a scale of one to four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great. I love the way you articulated that. Um, so then <laughs> That's back when up. I realized um, Goshevin's real motivation, I think, is not that he wants to save the aqueduct. It's that maybe if the entire colony is transported to a different planet, maybe he would lose his grasp on power. Absolutely. He'd be the little fish in a giant pond. Mm-hmm. Giant aqueduct. Giant aqueduct. Yeah. And then we get a very kind of like Brutus from Julius Caesar scene where (laughs) the conspirators meet at one person at at Cassius's house at at Mm. midnight and uh, they're caught scheming about trying not to die. (laughs) And once again, he shows up him by himself which is another testament to this is really kind of more about him right Mm. like you make a really good point becca that it is about his grasp on power which kind of goes back to what we were talking about with our own stubbornness of holding on to traditions because those traditions tend to reflect a power structure that those people in power want to keep Ooh, there you go (laughs) that was good that was good yeah 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 yeah. It's, it's totally totally on the same page so uh, yeah, Data gets found out, that, and Goshevin just shocks him and disables him. And they, right? the Goshevin does that to Data. Yeah. 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 The, the villagers kind of uh, look at him like he's crazy. He said, I didn't kill anybody. I've just shut down a machine. Yeah, see, that's when I, as Starfleet, would have commanded that they destroy the whole planet. <laughs> oh, my God. No. no one touches Data. You don't mess with Data. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you touch dance. Data. I will go to war for Data. Do you understand me, Goshevin? <laughs> well, thankfully, he can repair himself, and he does shortly. But meanwhile, back up in the ship, Picard's mm. getting uh, a little bit of a linguistics lesson from Troy. Now, did you notice the word she said, or Becca? Colonization. Uh, no, no. Uh, she said Zith Marith. Okay. Hmm. Isn't that. That's the name of one of our uh, a, users on Discord, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I have Twitch never heard I that. Like, I've never heard that word ever until I saw uh, that user's name, and I don't see it referenced anywhere, and I think it's directly a reference to this. Uh, what is it? It's it's this word. I oh, think it's just it's a gobbledygook word, and that person took that very obscure ah. word from one episode of Star Trek, and we found it. Wow. Okay, well, if anybody, I don't know if Zizmarth listens to this podcast. <laughs> I don't but know either. If he does, or if anybody sees him in chat, please ask him if his username came yeah. out of episode yeah. three hundred two of the Next Generation. Wow. We need to know. Just wanted as an aside there. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Picard decides to turn the tables on the corporate the corporation. The Sheliac, sorry, and uh, decides that. How does he do it? He he decides he legally that he's just going to block it. them. What's yeah, that? he legally blondes it. He finds a <laughs> loophole within their own system to sort of go around everything. Every contract has a a method of arbitration. If you have a problem with the contract, and it tells you, you know, it typically in California, a California state arbitrator would do it, or someone registered there. <laughs> yeah. And in this situation, it looks like one of the op- uh, options for arbitration is the Grisella. And of course, <laughs> we all know about the Grisella that they hibernate <laughs> for six right. months. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're in their mm-hmm. hibernation cycle. Yeah. So we were they talking can't about do it. Something else that he does 
beforehand? Oh, well, I, what I was saying was is that he he kind of breaks the rules a little bit and just blocks them from going. He's like, oh. no. And they're like, you're not obeying the treaty. He's like, I don't care. I won't stand for you killing civilians. I'm going to stand my ground. He literally then, says, I, I'm. you have to go through me. And I thought that was very re- yeah. reckless on Picard's part because they have just said that they're really willing to kill any humans that get in their way. Yeah, it feels I'm, like he – well, and I feel like they're – are they more power? I feel like the Enterprise is more powerful than them, right? We've st- the whole know. time they were sort of like judging each other to find yeah. out which one had the better capabilities because mm. some- we were kind of faster, some had better shields. Like it was back and forth. Also, blockading someone in space is such a weird thing because space <laughs> is massive, and like the Enterprise, is like no. Yeah. I know you come through this avenue up, of space. Down, yeah. left, right. Oh, they tried. Oh, yeah, but the air, oh. space traffic controller says, no, yeah. you must stay on this X-axis. But I'm space glad that, that you brought this up, too, because this was the first key point that they used of like, oh, they'll be, list- they'll be uh, following this bureaucracy and the rules to a- the letter. We can use that against them. Yes, yes, and so they do a deep dive into the terms of service, and they find <laughs> the resolution that Becca mentioned, which is uh, a, a mediator, a negotiator, who will take much too long than the three weeks that Picard is asking to evacuate. Meanwhile, <laughs> Danny <laughs> takes— the way. Sorry, we got to talk about how Picard hangs up after oh, he yes. finds oh, his bureaucratic yeah. loophole. So sassy. So good. He, uh, he walks away. He— strokes dust off of the USS Enterprise plaque, which we've never seen before, and I really love. It's and great. And then he comes back and he says, on screen. <laughs> and they're calling Such this a good whole time. <laughs> a lesser actor would have played that a little quicker. Like, Patrick Stewart really oh. took his time in a great way, and his line delivery of on screen was flawless. That was yep. really great. This is sort of what I was... the ellipsis. What I was talking about with their taking chances in like that comedic way, um, and I feel like what you had mentioned, Patrick Stewart might be getting into that free form with the rest of the cast because I remember reading that in the first couple of seasons he was pretty stiff and very you know uh, curmudgeonly about everything, but then sort of uh, let loose. So you can kind of see that in the performance too. Yeah, yeah. For Seems sure. like they're uh, trusting their instincts about what's funny instead of going for broad. Because they weren't under the same constraints as a lot of network shows, right? They they mm-hmm. didn't have a network overseeing them. Do I you remember know, that correctly? Well, I think they did, like most did in the '90s, or I guess early '90s at this point. I, I'm sure there was. You're right, Becca. Also, but like they're also just they're not a comedy. They, I think they mm-hmm. are looking for moments within the script as opposed to inserting moments in the writing, right? I, yeah. I feel this like could a lot also of these be moments. directing. I mean, definitely yeah. actor mm-hmm. choices, but yeah. Uh, yeah. a lot of it could be the directors they're yeah. choosing. That's very true. Just going over to the season in general, too, I feel like maybe getting Gates back into the cast sent a message of a win to the the ensemble as well of like, look, we're all important and we're all doing this. And look, if they threaten one of us, they threaten all of us type of thing. And they got that win. Yeah, that's true. It, uh, interestingly, this was actually shot before 301. So this was the first episode they shot. And that's uh, Gates' bigger role was in the, the that previous episode, which yeah. was shot afterwards, right? That feels so weird that they would... The 301 had this whole thing where they're reintroducing Gates and saying... Uh, you were gone. Here's why. It would have been really weird to show her back and having not done that. The production schedule, I think, was partially because Will Wheaton was shooting uh, or trying to shoot a film in France during oh. the beginning of the season. And then 
they he wanted to get written out of one of these episodes, but evolution was so important, so Wesley centric, obviously, mm. that they wouldn't get him out. And so I oh. think he had to not be able to do the film, which this incidentally led to him asking to be written off the show. Wow. So he he this is the season where he starts trying to get phased out. Wild. Okay, yeah. I thought you were saying that they had reordered them in post, but really you were saying they just shot out of order. They like shot I should have assumed because most shows always right. shoot, shoot out of order. Out. I don't know if they always Goodbye. do, but yeah, they I got to show myself out. Wait, no, no, yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're good. No, this is a great question to ask because yes, I didn't I'm an like, idiot. That gave me the segue into talking about this. Also, Katie was watching this episode with me, and, she, and I, I mentioned this fact because I was reading it on Alpha as I or Memory Alpha as I watched it, and I go, uh-huh. "Oh, this is where Will Wheaton was like asked to be written out." She goes, "Will Wheaton's in this?" I go, "What do you know Will Wheaton from?" <laughs> That's true. Oh, the tabletop stuff. I'm like, "Oh, huh? whoa! You don't know." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of the the younger viewers, no, yeah, exactly. on, on YouTube Stand or on Twitch, me. yeah, yeah so, or like, Stand by Me, which is yeah, yeah, even I mean, older, so, yeah. But I know him as a, <laughs> as a kid actor from the, from Star Trek primarily, but yeah, he absolutely did a lot of stuff even younger than that. Yeah, and so I guess I kind of forgotten that some people, especially even who listen to this podcast, might not have known that for a, well. People who listen yeah. to this podcast now. Mm, probably not. <laughs> if they know who we are, they, they certainly yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> and they watch our stuff. It's too meta. My brain is breaking. Yeah, yeah. So meanwhile, okay. back on the planet, Data takes some drastic measures by doing uh, the same tactic we kind of saw in last episode where they were just moving wires into different places. He mm-hmm. just takes a chip out of his arm and puts it into a phaser to make it work. Well, <laughs> pretty you easy. know, it's, it's very sciencey though, because... Hyperonic radiation <laughs> randomizes phaser beams. So if he puts his positronic brain to unrandomizing the phaser beams, it's totally gonna work. What pill made you write down all of these scientific terms? This I'm is so I didn't impressed. take any notes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, I don't know. I just decided I like techno babble today. Oh my yeah. goodness. I really okay. So he 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 needs to do a show of strength because that's all these people respond to, or at least their leader. This um, is and as he does that, I have this whole thought of like, okay, he's working with the people who are already on his side to sort of do a play acting thing. It's like the phaser doesn't really work. He just had them, you know, he made it have a flashy light with pulling a chip out of his arm. And then he had the the people who were down with his plan to sort of play act and pretend they were being stunned and fall down. Well, they got stunned. No. <laughs> He just absolutely stunned five yeah. people and then started blowing up the aqueduct. That yeah. was dramatic. I did not see the aqueduct thing happening at all. And like the yeah. whole I mean, aqueduct explodes too. If I lived there, I would start to be distrustful of androids seeing that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Also, but like, ultimately, he, no he was saying, I'm one android with one phaser. What happens when a, a whole ship, a, a race can shoot you from orbit and you never mm. see their faces when they kill you mm. is a convincing argument. Yes. yes. I mean, it, it's convincing in a way. I was, I just realized also he doesn't really have any proof to show them this stuff, right? He, they just kind of yeah. have to take his word for it. Yeah, what if he wanted the planet for himself? How do they know? <laughs> Which is why yeah. I think we see this overkill. This is a like a yeah. logical thing of like, oh, you're obsessed with this aqueduct? Well, I, I could destroy this. Now you're, what are you obsessed with? Nothing? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> From a writing perspective, I guess they needed something pretty dramatic to yeah. 
not only for the show but also and, like, really to make them. this point of the like it got it yeah it has to move the settler so i guess it makes some sense but yeah it did seem really harsh yeah, yeah. you made me think of a mean. hypothetical if you're ever trying to get your kids out of the house and they're too obsessed with their video games Break smash it. their video no. games yeah. and then they'll leave and that's what I can do with a hammer. Imagine. <laughs> I mean, if it's life or death, like if they're, if they're going to build a highway over your house and your kid won't leave because he's playing video games, then go for that. I mean, th- there's a whole generation of, of kids. Mm. There's a whole generation. Can I, can I get on a real tangent well here? I listened to a podcast on uh, the Dailies feed. It was their Sunday read, and it was a deep dive with um, a writer with aphasia, I think is the uh-huh. word for someone who cannot smell, doesn't have the ability of smell. And then with COVID, a lot of people are losing their ability of sell, mm-hmm. smell. Mm-hmm. And we're actually relaunching the study of our olfactory, which has long mm-hmm. been relegated to like, Nobody cares. Uh, we're not even going to research it. Smell <laughs> is a stupid sense. No yeah. one likes it. Yeah. <laughs> smell sucks. Um, so now there, we ha- can smell so much better than we think. It's just like we don't have the language to describe it. Sorry, Mom. You already hold me, heard me tell you this on the phone. Mm. Um, like, for example, if you were trying to describe an exact shade of blue, you could give a hex code. Sure. And Pantone has a color for that. Yeah. And uh, if you're trying to describe a banana, you would call it banana e as a smell yeah 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 anyway uh i bring this up because gen zers were given uh, a survey saying would you rather lose your cell phone or lose your sense of smell and something like 60 percent said lose the smell well i'll tell you what you know you can't do with your sense of smell You're doing yeah, such a good job. Yeah, you can't sense what someone needs in a moment. <laughs> that's, that's what you do for your Android Spidey sense? Yep. Kiss him. <laughs> well. <laughs> also, I do have to make one quick little aside. I did tweet this out, but I am a part of a Star Trek uh, live play show called Clear Skies. And our chief medical officer on the ship, played by Bonnie Gordon, uh, it's become a running gag that she likes to do reflex tests on her patients by just throwing things at them. And so <laughs> we got to see a reflex test in action when this, uh, when what is her name, Artie throws a pipe at Data. <laughs> it's like, oh, I just That's wanted hilarious. to see. Yeah. <laughs> what a right? way to introduce yourself. Yeah. <laughs> what a meat cute. Exactly. Yeah. The kiss so, was, uh, I thought. Um, I guess justified or I, uh, the kiss was rational. Yeah. What a weird, like know. that's what I'm saying is like, I think they don't have great chemistry, but that's the point with data is like, he won't have great chemistry. And I, mm. I kind of like that difference in this one a little bit. They didn't really try to oversell it, especially at the end when she's like, you can't, you don't have feelings or you don't right. have feelings for me. He's like, I don't have feelings period. I don't know. I, I like, I like the fact that he, He's checking this. Like, how do how to describe this? He's like checking well, this love box. I don't know. Like, yeah. Well, because we see the gamut of human emotions in him wanting to experience everything, and, and I don't know if they considered the Tasha Yar relationship like a misfire, or they were like, "Ooh, more of that." Uh, I don't know what their thought behind. I think they just want to dip their toe in a little bit. There was a sudden budget cut. Budget cut at the end of this episode, which I think deleted some scenes oh. that were scheduled for them i think there was a little bit more oh. to their romance oh i did not want more Thank yeah you. well that's what i'm saying because like <laughs> they, i didn't love their chemistry but i loved the the attempt or like the dabble right mm-hmm. um but yeah she <laughs> uh katie made the good 
point that her suspenders look like a couple of purses. There, the, I loved her outfit. Did you? Was, uh, she's I, like, I liked it. Those shoulder pads. She was so '80s businesswoman, but everybody else mm-hmm. felt like planetary settler slash renegade. <laughs> like she definitely stood out. Listen, sometimes you just need to remind the neighborhood that you're the main character. When you step out for your walk, she you need had, to let them know. She had belts. A, she had a belt and suspenders. Those pants weren't going anywhere. Nowhere. Nowhere. <laughs> um, well, that pretty okay, much Okay, resolves... well, I missed something about uh, pants and suspenders. I uh, had to do some dog yelling. Yeah, anyway, no so it sounds like we made it to the end of the episode. We pretty yeah. much did. Yeah, I mean, so like this... Data's dramatic demonstration convinces the settlers that, yeah, they need to go. And because Picard has stalled the corporation, the Sheliac Corporation, for three weeks, they have enough time to presumably get them off of the planet. To figure Gosh, out the beaming or whatever. where are they going to go, though? <laughs> anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, literally anywhere else. Well, did we talk about, uh, to punctuate the episode, we bring it full circle, and Picard is listening to the recording of Data's concerto. I kind of got a little emotional on that. I was like, oh, I forgot. And the fact that he did it, especially because Data was kind of hurt when he walked out, as if Data didn't understand what was going on. Uh, But yeah, we missed that. (laughs) It was very much like the, Dad's leaving my piano recital. It must be me. It's got to be me. It did feel like a after-school special episode where the kid (laughs) sees his dad go off to a meeting right in the middle of the play. Right. This is where we get that great, that tag of Picard going like, you chose this performance to put together, so you're still creating and you're still making art. I suppose I have learned to be creative <laughs> get it because he also got creative when he blew shit up yeah <laughs> uh my microphone's been doing such a good job this whole time i just want to stop it <laughs> it's a rational kiss did i have a quick question did brent spiner know how to play violin before this did he like learn for this role because i feel like it's something your master memory know. alpha. How I know. Yes. I know. To know. Well, I don't see anything about it, and I feel like I it's something I wrote learning. in my head that's not necessarily true. Like I want I'll it to be true. Text his brother Brett and ask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could see him learning enough to fake it for camera for sure, like yeah. fingering positions or something. I just feel like we watch him play it later on in the season. He actually can play, but I don't know. Ah. Uh, I'll research it for the next episode, which, by the way, is episode 303, The Survivors, where the Enterprise investigates two survivors living on an undamaged patch of land on an otherwise devastated planet. How could they survive? How could they? Well, we'll find out. Where we see more settlers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> More. More settlers. Settlers. <laughs> Engage. Engage. Engage.